This is High Performance, our gift to you for free every week. This is the podcast that turns the lived experience of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So today, allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers, and entrepreneurs to be your teacher. Today, this awaits you. Do the basics brilliant and you're, you know, I mean, it sounds pathetic, but actually consistently having those really good little preparation um, tricks in the background. And another great line for them, average is easy, that's why it's popular. It's easy to be average. I think staying present is important. I think, you know, people can take baggage on for the future and, and really, oh, what's going to happen next November? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, if you give 100% today, you know, you're a good chance it's going to be okay. People talk about sacrifices as a word that I hate. Oh, I made all these sacrifices. Well, you know, for me it was all upside. You know, people say, oh, you did so well with all these sacrifices. I mean, it's bullshit because you've got to step up. And this is, you know, for me it was all like, you know, this is all upside. Every single thing, if I nail this, it's not a sacrifice. It's like, you know, it was just something that needed to be done. So anyway, I went on this training camp and I got smoked. Like I were in altitude in Austria and like they're skiing and they're doing these walks and I'm just like... Phew. God, these and all these Europeans are flying. And I'm like, this is never, ever, ever going to happen again, ever in my life, that I'm going to be exposed in something I can control and I can put the work in. And from that day, I just said, you know, bring those type of environments on. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. Mark Webber um, is today's guest. He was a whisker away from winning the Formula One World Championship in 2010. He's performed at the highest level. He's seen good cultures. He's seen bad cultures. He's been judged from the outside. He's had unbelievable challenges with his teammates and the management of the team that he was racing for. It's a really interesting, really varied, really useful conversation. I think you're going to love it. So thank you so much, Mark, for agreeing to be part of High Performance. Thanks to you, as always for coming along and enjoying an episode with us can i also just say huge thanks as well to everyone that bought tickets for the high performance 2022 tour last week we saw, well we almost sold out in a couple of days um if you want to get your hands on some tickets i can't promise there are some still available but if you're in edinburgh if you're in london manchester or birmingham and you want to come along and join us just go to the highperformancepodcast.com and there may well be some tickets there but anyway on with today's episode a chat with the brilliant mark webber comes next like a star walking into a movie premiere with paparazzi all over it. Uh, I'm definitely not talking about me or Damien. I'm talking about the Lotus Amira V6 first edition, which made an appearance in LA this week in front of some US journalists and influencers, and they absolutely loved the car. If you want to uh, take a look at some images of the Amira, it's Lotus's brand new car coming out in 2022, and you can find it at Lotus Cars across social media or head to lotuscars.com. But don't forget, without our founding partner, Lotus Cars, there is no high-performance podcast. Love you, Lotus. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today. 
Today on High Performance, we're joined by a multi-time Formula One winner, coming within a whisker of becoming a Formula One world champion. Our guest has won the World Endurance Championship. Yet I think the biggest success is that this man remains as unchanged as the day he left his Aussie town to take on the world, which is quite something when you spent years battling teammates, team bosses and outside perception in the shark-infested waters of Formula One. Mark Webber, welcome to High Performance. Great to see you guys. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Let's start as we always begin on this podcast. In your mind, what is high performance? Uh, well, yeah, massive question, isn't it, mate? I think that um, you've got to be prepared to adapt. Consistency is crucial. You've got to uh, always compare yourself to the best, which my dad always said, not the worst. And, you know, you, you will be stretched. You will be put in deeper waters, and you've got to be able to adapt to... to uh, reinvent yourself often and then keep that consistency in play yeah i think that's high performance it's interesting that you mentioned comparison because we often try and sort of peddle this belief that comparison is the thief of joy and you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone else but you say there that actually comparing yourself was a was a positive thing for you i think that early on yes i think that dad um instilled that in me in terms of saying well look there's always someone that can have the bar slightly higher and i think that you know and how they're going about that what are the lessons from that um is it their environment is it their appetite for uh you know filling in the blanks or the weaknesses that we all have in our profession you know there's there's it's the ones that are phenomenal mate which we'll probably get into you know the Federers and the Schumachers and and the greats of our sports the Michael Jordans obviously they have an incredible appetite for work and of course they have the skill to go with it there's a lot of talented skillful individuals out there that that had exactly that a lot of talent but obviously they didn't apply themselves you know and and I think even as Alex Ferguson, not to quote lots of different people, but I think Fergie said always take work rate over talent because if yeah. the effort's in there, then we can work on the other stuff. So can I ask you about your parents then, Mark? Because mm. I know you grew up on that, on what was on you said was called Straddletown, mm. on the New South Wales and the Canberra border. Mm. And you've said yourself you're a bit of a wayward mm. teenager. Mm. Can you tell us about how your parents sort of nurtured that talent, but also instilled that work ethic in you? Yeah, I was didn't realise how lucky I was to grow up in a really rural setting. Uh, you know, Queenbeyan certainly was that. Um, I mean, it wasn't a small town. There's still, you know, 20,000 people there. You know, the old school values are very important to dad. Um, simple things like even, you know, finishing a meal at the table you know mum's prepared the food she's gone to a lot of effort for that it's important you finish your meal you know all these little things and 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 the pleases and thank yous and good handshakes and all those things which were important to dad and also i remember when i did my plumbing apprenticeship believe it or not i did that and he's like well i want you to do your best you know because being a small town people talk and and the word gets around if you don't apply yourself properly so sport same thing i did all sports you know swimming tennis golf AFL, um, bit of rugby league. So I think that having the access to all of those sports in a rural area was was a real blessing for me because there was, you know, again, in, in some rural settings, you can get caught up in some other shenanigans you don't need to be caught up in. So I think that was a nice excuse for me to focus on that. School for me wasn't easy. I was, I was certainly the class clown. I was always up to mischief. I didn't have the attention span to, you know, to close out studies and I just felt it was frankly just incredibly boring um so for me to have sport and then ultimately motorsport was was very important for me when you're exposed to coaches and team environment at a young age and again just sort of the opportunity to have some sort of standards and you have to step up you know i think that you know you can't have the comfort of mum and dad sort of protecting you and sort of but a coach would then actually you know call out certain issues and when you're young it's like learning a language you know it just gets hardwired into your head so early that this is 
what I need to have some level of pride in my work and do the best I can for this team. So I think that those sort of recreational sporting events were, were very good for me. Um, I wasn't great at all of them. I certainly still enjoy a lot of them to this day, which is good. Another small example, I mean, the Canberra Raiders, the football team was quite close to us and a friend of ours called David Ferner lived in the same street and just saw David, the work that he put in. And Dad, you know, whether it was intentional or not, but he'd show me David going to train on his own, pulling tractor tyres around fields and you know, getting his strength up and just like, yeah, it was a real eye-opener to see what it actually takes. You know, you, you're so naive at a young age to think what a sports person needs to go through to, yep. to hit the heady heights. Um, but I think to have that put into me at an early age was um, very, very fortunate. So was there a specific incident with a coach that still sticks in your mind that you were still using when you were at the peak of your powers in Formula One? Coaching-wise, I think in those sort of sports, probably not so much, but I think that certainly in racing, I think when I got into the into the junior scene, um, the accountability on you, you know, in terms of simple things, you know, timekeeping, that was a big one, which I learned some hard lessons on early on, Like, and, and, and my, my dad was big on that, but it's actually, that was a huge thing about being punctual with your timekeeping, you know, because there's a lot of other people that, you know, when you turn up for something, five minutes five minutes early is on time, or 10 minutes early is on time. So all those little things, you, you get a lot of very, very quick feedback early on, on how those things should be, you know, executed. And then just that team environment. I think when you start to bridge out into a bigger environment of team in, in, in motorsport, for example, um, you, you really have, you know, you've got the mechanics, you've got everyone that you start, holy, you know, I'm the arrowhead here. I'm the guy that's going to actually start driving this, this vehicle to the best of its ability, but they've got you know, so many other facets that they're focusing on. It's not just about you are really giving them the confidence to do the workers to the best of their ability as well because the buy-in is so big at that point, yeah. they, they believe that you can do the job. And how big is control then for you when you start to get those opportunities in your early years of motorsport? Because I think that sometimes the power of seeing someone dragging a tyre around the field is a reminder from your dad that there'll be lots of things out of your control. But the one thing that you are able to control is your work ethic, it is your mindset, it is your self-belief. So yeah. were you rock solid at the age of 17, 18, 19? Or were you still like a lot of people at that age, racked with self-doubt as you were trying to make your way into motorsport? At that age, what I struggle with, and I think probably a lot of other sports men and women do when they're on that journey, is what is the bar, where's the, where's the high point of what you're supposed to be doing at that particular time in yeah. your career? You know, I remember... When I first signed for Mercedes-Benz as a professional, so I'm now on, you know, 150,000 German Deutschmarks, which is whatever, 30, 40, you know, grand a year, which is like, this is just unbelievable. I'm now getting paid to do my job. And it was nearly a line that come out, like, I've inside the house, like, I've made it, you know. And, and Anne and Dad quickly was like, you haven't, you have done fuck all, mate, at the moment. Like, this is not even, you know, this is, this is, you haven't even started. So, anyway, I went on this training camp and I got smoked. Like, I went not altitude in Austria and, like, they're skiing and they're doing these walks. And I'm just like, God, these, and all these Europeans are flying. And I'm like, this is never, ever, ever going to happen again, ever in my life that I'm going to be exposed in something I can control and I can put the work in. And from that day, I just said, you know, bring those type of environments on because that's something that I just loved, you know, preparing myself day in, day out for the gaps where I wasn't the most skillful behind the wheel in, in many, in many instances. But in terms of my, my fitness levels, I was never going to be caught out with that side of it. So that was a big gear change for me in terms of being caught out, exposed, one of the slowest, one of the weakest, diet wasn't great. So it was, it was a like, good thing. Brilliant. 
absolutely brilliant. You know, and Tony Matas was a doctor then, um, you know, Austrian guy. He's a bit of a, in your eye, this guy's a lunatic. He's absolutely crazy what he wants us to do. But actually, you look back, it's like it was completely normal and fair. But can I take you to that moment where you felt exposed, where you come in last? Mm. Because at that moment, it's almost a crucible. You could either decide that this isn't for me, this, I'm miles away from it, mm. and I'll never make it. Yep. But you've obviously had this idea yep. of, I'm, I'm going to bridge that gap, I'll never be caught out again. Yeah. Where does that come from? I think from? it's the pride, mate. For me at that time, it was like, I felt embarrassed in myself. I've come right. all this way. It's a long way to go back to Australia with your tail between your legs. And it's like, I haven't even sort of got started yet. This is like, if you want to be professional, this is a part that you need to start getting your head around, Mark, you know, get, get your finger out. You're absolutely kidding yourself if you think you can take shortcuts on that stuff because the bloke in the mirror, you know, it's like the old Wayne Bennett, the famous rugby league coach in Australia, the old man in the mirror. If you're bullshitting him, you're in serious strife. So you work now with a lot of young racing drivers, right? Mm. How do you help to instill resilience into them? Because I think that what a lot of people would do is go on that fitness camp, go, oh my goodness, it's not for me after all. I'm just going to head back to Australia and carry on with the plumbing, which yep. is... Yeah. The backup plan. Yeah. What do you say to these young guys that, that have a struggle? It's it's part of the test, Jake, I think. You can counsel, you can, I think, try and give support, and, and, and naturally I do, and, and I find that um, enjoyable. But ultimately, you know, it's the old thing, you can't take a horse to water, right? You, you, you've got to have a couple of flashpoints, which I did, and it's like you've got to take the lead because obviously yeah. if it's inside, that'll then be consistent and it'll burn away correctly and it'll be, it'll be sustainable. But if you've got these, you know, peaks and valleys of actually motive, yeah, no, no, well, no, no, I'm going to be on that and this was embarrassing and, you know, and I want to actually start and turning into a bit of like the competition of factors. Like it's not only that, when I go there, I want to pulverise these guys. I actually want to, you know, turn the embarrassment the other way, you know, it's actually start getting the word out that actually, Jesus, you know, he's, he's absolutely on the case. So that's, if you can instill that in them, there's a lot of ownership on them because you can give them a bit, but ultimately... You know, you can't, you know, yeah, they've got to yeah. get on the bike. They've got to go altitude and skiing. They've got to start getting themselves physically prepared. The diet, the discipline around diet, you know, to stay lean for 11 months of the year. You know, you can't, you know, sit there with a spoon and, you know, feed these kids. They've got to actually do it themselves and make selections and choices. So what kind of changes did you make then to make, to then make that transition from from where you were to where Fat you wanted to be? To, yeah. Um, well, the changes were the level of consistency, diet, um, fitness. Um, I actually quite enjoyed, in the end, training on my own because then, again, I had no excuses. I didn't want to take any liabilities out with me in terms of, you know, training and saying, well, someone's quicker, someone's slower, whatever. I just knew that I had to continue to get fitter myself um, and also then take good counsel and, and, and seek good advice off, for example, you know, some some guys in the military which was which was great for me at the time a few mates in the special forces which was just a complete fluke i come across them at the right time because that's what life can often be it's like time it's just meant to be and then the standards just went from okay this is an eye-opener this is where i need to be and um you know they needed to also apply themselves in that situation because obviously they're in a completely different situation while well, i was doing sport it was you know it's not a, as big a deal as you know obviously fighting for your country so that was a great eye-opener, um, and they gave me access into lots of different sports, you know, to get myself strong enough, you know, I'm tall, my lower back was always exposed in a Formula One car, so get my back strong, get in my glutes, you know, cycling, you know, all the running, the, the all, you know, swimming, you know, hydrotherapy, all those things, which, you know, at the time was just an education process, but I just... I just loved all of it. I just took it all in and it probably went back to my early childhood because that was the segue into like all of these sports weren't an issue for me in terms of, you know, coordination and, yep. you know, getting myself into them. It was just I needed to actually do them 
more often and more intense. As you know, because you've listened to a few of these podcasts, yep. this isn't really a conversation about Formula One, is it? Mm-hmm. It's a conversation about life. So That's good to hear, Jake, yeah. The military <laughs> yeah. conversations that you had, what was the advice they gave you for people listening to this thinking, yeah, I'm kind of similar, I'm struggling a bit with motivation or with discipline or with consistency. Mm. What did you see in that military world where you were like, wow? Well, mate, ownership, uh, planning, you know, they plan very well, like just simple things, you know, like... Um, my buddy 20 years ago, he just said, mate, get your gear out the night before. You know, you're running gear. Anything you're going to do in the next morning when you wake up, because we're all brilliant at, you know, it's, it's cold outside, it is what it is, whatever. But if you get your gear out the night before, it's beside your bed or wherever it needs to be, you're out, it's on. And that's 80, in, some, in my head, it was actually nearly 80% of actually, once I'm out the door, we're on. Yeah. You know, but to get your ass out the door. So all those little tricks. The World-class plan- basics. Yeah, the, exactly. Do the basics brilliant yeah. and you're, you know, I mean, it sounds pathetic, but actually consistently having those really good little preparation um, tricks in the background. And another great line for them, average is easy. That's why it's popular. It's easy to be average. You know, so, but things but like that. So, because yeah, people so- think, they look at you and go, oh, Formula One driver, won nine Grand Prix, world endurance champion. He must be doing things that are so far ahead of where I'm living my life, I can't possibly get to that mm-hmm. level. But that's why we have these conversations because you weren't suddenly doing things that are totally alien to 90% of the no. population. You're doing things that almost anyone listening to this can do if yep. if in their own world, yep. they want to be world-class. It is simple things, mate. They just, yeah. you know, and, and cut the surprises out. You know, if you see it coming and pick it off and if you're just in control, just organised, whether it's sport or in your personal life, you're a bit more of a chance. Why is consistency so important? You've mentioned that word four or five times already. Yeah. Well, I think you've got to be dependable and reliable. Um, I think that you're, you know, if you're really up and down, you know, you can be tricky to work with. And I think if you get that level of consistency to a higher level, then you can actually, the gains actually you can start to work out on your gains are a bit easier, but if you're working off a smaller platform yeah. of high points, it's hard to you know nudge away at the at, at you achieving you know higher levels of performance. So if you're cons- more consistent, naturally, I think you can you're just nudging that bar up in a more of an even fashion instead of you being all over the show. Um, it's harder for you to you know increase your performance. And it sounds in many ways that when you describe it like that, that that leads to higher levels of trust. Mm. from the people that work with you because they know what they're going to get. So would you tell us about trusting the cultures when you went into Formula One? People don't realise the size maybe of the Formula One teams like it when I was at Red Bull racing. There's probably, well, now there's around 1,000 people employed in that operation and, and, you know, we're talking 300 to 400 million euro budgets uh, to operate two cars, which is just absolutely extraordinary. Not in football terms, it's not, but in terms of, you know, or global, many other global sports, but Formula One's certainly up there. But the consequences are, you know, if, if we don't have that level of trust, you know, there's certain members of the Red Bull team that I would have beside my mum's bed at hospital if she's in strife. You know, like that's the level of trust you have in these guys because it's just that, you know, we don't even hardly have to talk to them each day. You know, it's just that communication of, mate, we're good to go. And as you say, that meticulous preparation on the consistency front. So I haven't had any issues for ages because over time that builds your trust because like hey, the car's been whatever i haven't been blindsided by an issue i'm driving it and it's like well these guys have this thing's buttoned down i've got a lot of trust in it i can of course we within eight or ten seconds we're pushing that car to its limits so there has to be a huge element of trust 
the sleep deprivation. These guys will work, and girls, they'll work for, you know, when they used to. Now there's there's curfews and stuff, but the, the amount of time and effort they would put into that car for you to be able to go out, and it was just such a love affair, which was a beautiful feeling. And how much time would you spend developing that then? Because... It sounds like a brilliant end product, but again, for people listening to this that say, I'd love that in my workplace or mm. with my team. Yeah, of course. It takes time. <sighs> you know, there, there can be challenges, absolutely, around um, because everyone's different and they, and, they, and they go around their job in different sort of ways. And even if it's culturally Formula One, look, we've got Italian, Spanish, Australian, South Africans, English. So you've got the, you know, different nuances with, with, with cultures and you've got to work your way through that. But ultimately, when you find the right people which does take time you're right i found myself at the end of my career if you're looking at your clock and you're sort of like you know we can get away a bit early and we can you know um today's not for me or getting a bit late they're not the characters that you're after you're after the ones that want to do you know the not inefficient work but the extra mile on on your program we we just got this common cause performance and making sure that with the opposition we're giving ourselves the absolute best chance to beat everyone else because yeah. if you're if you start undercooking or being you know cavalier to the opposition then of course you're on a hiding to nothing what were you like then with people that you didn't feel were at the level you wanted to be and i'm interested in kind of how you learned to deal with them because i'd imagine early on you maybe went a bit far and mm. then learned how to how yep. to share your point of view yep. in a way that was helpful yeah you're right jake i think that you have to learn how to communicate well as you as you say like sometimes i was not great with that if someone wasn't you know, if I saw someone as a bit of driftwood or wasn't really contributing to the program, I wouldn't communicate that well with them. I would sort of freeze them out early on. You know, right. it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not getting much from that, so I'm not going to put much in it, which was wrong. You know, that was like in the early part of my career. But in this, like, you've got to go, do you go directly to them? Do you go a bit higher up and say, well, you know, he or she, I'm not really feeling the intensity here or the drive or the love for what we're doing. Um, and why is that? Do we need to, you know, dig into it a little bit more? And, and naturally, you'll you'll find that there could be some reasons, but also there can be people that just, that's them topped out. That's them done. They are, that's them at 100%, full noise, and they can't contribute anymore, and they might not survive in that role because actually and that's where motorsport and, and hopefully sport is pretty handy, that if someone is a bit subpar, you can move them on because you know it's like it's it, it, it has to be like that you know if we can find someone that can do a better job that will bring us more performance um and look some people are you know tucked in the corner you know we've got a lot of you know scientific and and you can borderline nerds in the back and they're not great communicators but do they bring a lot to the program well they are phenomenal individuals you know when it comes to the engineering component so you've got to be careful because you've got some characters that glue the team together and you need that yeah, band not everyone fun. can be like yeah. you do of you know course I mean? yeah, yeah. But they still bring their mate <laughs> Yeah, of, yeah, of course. But you've got to have that fun culture too, in a way. You know, you can't yeah. just have a sterile environment where yeah. it's just like this is Groundhog Day every day. You've got to have, you know, w why are we here? What are we achieving today? Clear goals about, you know, what's got to be achieved today, or you know, the three month or six month or the year, you know, the holistic you know, plan of the of the program. But day to day, you've got to have an enjoyable environment. Naturally, you've got to have that. You got to have that fun, and there'll be a couple of characters in there that help that glue. Of course, you yeah. know that there's going to be somebody pull back out, and oh god, we miss them for you know. So everyone has got you know a, a critical role to play in a big operation like that. Let's talk then about environments and cultures. Um, I remember in your book you said that it's very rare to find someone that really loved driving for Williams, mm -hmm. for example. And yep. you were the same. You struggled yep. at Williams, yep. right? Yep. Culturally, yeah. So when you arrived there, what was it about that team that just didn't light your fire? I mean, it was a dream for mine to drive for Williams. It was. It was. I mean, it was a huge name um and still is to this day 
and I was at Jaguar at the time. I left. I drove for them in 03 and 04, and I was McLaren was sniffing around a little bit at the time, um, but that went away a bit earlier than what Renault and Williams did. They were still at the table at the end, and I went. Yeah, it went to Williams, and it was just. I just felt it wasn't overly warm, and I don't need to be overly loved, but I just felt this is actually a pretty, you know, pretty cold environment, and the driver was certainly just a a small part of this this whole operation, which was which is certainly you know is 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 the case in in in, in many ways. But you just sort of felt that the first day should have been like, I mean, I was so excited, but it, and it, it was okay, but it wasn't like. My God, I don't feel overly, you know, accepted or loved, and I'm a key, key member of this whole going forward of this operation. It was like, yeah, you're pretty, you know, interchangeable, you know, pretty quickly. So that was like hit me pretty hard. I'm like, okay, this is going to be different. Just from the impression you got, or was that quite overt? Um, I think it was. I think it was. It was real. Yeah. Um, I think it was, you know, um, and I enjoyed a good relation with Frank, you know, more probably privately than professionally and also with Patrick Head and, and, and the bosses there. Um, and Claire was, Claire Williams, who was Frank's daughter, was my yeah. press manager at the time. Um, so that was all fine, I think, Monday to Friday. But when it come to actually the, the sort of racing component and professionally working for the team, it was it was just something that I didn't sort of... It was very, very... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm married to an to a English lady, but it was very, very English in terms of it sort of was just a sort of stoic, you know, upper lip and... Right. Stiff upper lip and... So what just, were they yeah. lacking then? Like an embrace or a night out or a bit of love or <laughs> yeah, togetherness? Um, yeah, I think that freshness of people, I think, you know, living in the past a bit too, you know, that was something which was, you know, it's easy to look in the mirrors a lot instead of it doesn't do you any favours whatsoever. I think that, you know, going forward um, and, and focus on what's coming at you was important. So dining out on the past was something which was maybe not that positive. Um, and that come from, you know, people continuing to have their jobs there that maybe was probably outstayed their welcome. Um, so I think that fresh enthusiasm and excitement and love for what people were doing because they've been they had had done so much winning and now they're sort of mid-table yeah and people were like and the mid-table atmosphere was like within the company it's like well how are we going to get ourselves because they've been they've had so much champagne these guys the whole company had had so much success for so long and now they're trying to get themselves out of this and it's like oh here's another driver he's like you know it's like it's just another and the churn was actually probably needed to be hired in a different way in terms of the the, the sort of recruiting process was yeah. was just culturally did you try and change. change this did you sort of take it upon yourself to go yeah. listen guys i see issues here yeah let's work yeah. on them yeah so i did sam michael was at the time he was a head technical director australian guy so again i thought that was going to be pretty useful in terms of culturally trying to to help what we might need to do but it was very draining, very draining. And I remember, um, you know, one day mowing the lawns and I'm just trying to say, if this is how the best team operates, then, wow, this is going to be, I'm in the middle of my career. I've got a long slog to, you know, continue to enjoy this type of work because I didn't really see it like this. Um, so, mate, it was draining. And in the end, I pretty much had made my decision, you know, through that fight a two-year contract. And I pretty much made the end of that first year. I'm like, we need to, I need to, probably if it's like this it's either stopping or i've got to find a different environment because what we thought at the time was average performance we're still getting a few podiums and it was average and then and then from even the years after that it got worse and worse and worse and worse from 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 a results perspective for williams so i think what they thought was average at that time was little did we know that we're going to the back of the grid yeah. 
like last row uh, in the next five or six years. So taking your dad's philosophy of comparing yourself to the best, mm. what did you do to recognise that what was going on wasn't just the gut instincts of mediocrity, but you could see better examples elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty inexperienced all the time, mate, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I knew where I'd come from was, was a better working relationship but they hadn't had the results that Williams had had so I'm saying what is what is right here what is normal we can have a cushy you know environment where everyone's you know high-fiving each other and it's all you know honky-dory but it's like but there's no trophies coming in so where's this sweet spot it's not until I found out I suppose you know with with moving to another team after that with it being Red Bull and then working with people like David Coulthard and, and Adrian Newey and and that type of environment where I saw that you know continuing to push the boundaries and Again, you know, not in some ways not comparing yourself to the best or having having um, bringing the competition on. We want the comp. We actually want it. We want to. We want to be tested because we enjoy being a bit exposed sometimes. And 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 let's bring everyone to the table because that will keep everyone else on their toes in our operation, which was a little bit like Adrian was always, you know, one of the best engineers in the world. He was like, I'm. Bring them on because we're ready for them, which was an interesting, you know, psychological yep. approach that wasn't like that at Williams. So dad's philosophy and like you say, compare yourself, compare yourself to the best at that time for me, I was struggling to see, you know, the wood from the trees in terms of like, how are we going to get out of this? Because I thought this was the best, <laughs> but, right. so, yep. but it's still, we're not, we're not getting the results at the moment. So we needed to change. And didn't they call you in one day to basically tell you that they weren't happy with you? And I just wonder, you're looking at them thinking, you're not a great team and mm. then suddenly they tell you you're not good enough for us almost yeah. how i mean maybe tell us the story of what happened in that meeting and, and how that sat with you mentally yeah it was at the start of we traditionally formula one has a three-week break in august and which is we have a bit of a bit of downtime frank had called me down there and patrick for a meeting at eight o'clock on the monday morning of the three-week break okay this is a bit it's a bit different first year here and and so called me down and just said yeah just how how disappointed they were with my performances and um you know if we could get out of your contract now we would two years is we didn't we don't need this anymore and you know and i remember ringing annie coming back and i'm just like Phew. yeah that was i was a bit blindsided by that just sort of thing well actually the car's been pretty unreliable um and we've been in some pretty decent results positions you know with yeah, yeah. at the back end of the grand prix and the car had failed on me did you say um, that to them yeah of course it was certainly two against one and yeah. i was you know i was you know respecting my as best i could you know the establishment and the future with the team and i'm saying guys you know i'm trying to table some of the challenges we got here and and how thin actually what i knew that at the time you know some of our technical people were so thin in terms of mopping up some of the gaps and you could see where in my opinion where some of the some of the, the issues were coming from but anyway it was that was just another little it's like mm, yeah i don't i don't feel that this is the place for me so in the best teams you've worked with and then comparing it so how much of the focus was on the engineering side of it mm -hmm. and how much was on the human side of it well i think that what was important when i went to to red bull racing then was the orientation around goals is very clear we're here to win if you want to be in this program this is what we're going to do and we want to go on we're going to win world championships and then when you you hire the best in the world in key departments then your recruiting becomes very very and very easy but then or easier but then you have to deliver my god you have to deliver you know because it's like we've got everything sorted out and obviously the boss of red bull dietrich Bunnishes, he did it's like you know there's no excuses now we have got the adrian newies we've got 
you know, the, the best people in all the positions. We've got the fastest pit stops in the world, which took time. You know, that took a lot of time. But we are, Red Bull Racing still to this day are intimidating in the pit lane. Not many teams want to take them on in the pit lane. And that takes a thousand pit stops practice a year yeah. probably in the, at the factory. And those guys want to be on that car at that time because they want the pressure and, and the accountability of, of making sure that pit stop goes smooth. And that sound, again, it's the big little things. It's 1.8 seconds or two seconds. But if you get it wrong, you know, it's yeah. it's not a great moment to tell the grandkids, you know. But what I mean though, Mark, is that it sounds like that experience where you've got called into that meeting at mm. Williams mm. is quite cold and clinical mm. Mm. as opposed to sort of picking your brains and understanding how are you feeling about this and what can we get yeah. to get you to perform better. Yeah. But it's 16 years ago too now, you know, so things have changed. Uh, and I was reasonably thick-skinned to, you know, I was happy to take stuff on the chin and, and work out where I could be better. But that was a very, you know, it was a older establishment. Um, but then when you went to a much younger team, younger outfit, I think that, that there was that side of... You know, we had a, a female uh, member at Red Bull who was head of HR and she was like so good at getting the best out of the guys because the guys are pretty useless at talking to blokes. Whatever they paid her probably wasn't enough because she probably, over in, over time, she did probably pretty well for just getting a bit more out of the guys that they might not find comfortable talking about to, to a male colleague. So you've arrived at Red Bull. You've had your time at Williams. You're hunting that first win in Formula One. Mm -hmm. You're hungry for it. You've had to go through all sorts of battles to get to Formula One in the first place. And then you realise that it's not as pure as just driving a car and that it gets political and yeah. you're a pawn in the game. I mean, I remember one of the team bosses in my first year in Formula One saying, I'm, do you want to come and meet the light bulb? <laughs> and I said, how do you mean? And he goes, well, that's the driver. Like, <laughs> as soon as he goes out, we'll screw another one in. Yeah. And, that, and it's a very interesting <laughs> position then to be in, isn't it? Because when you're a driver in Formula 1, you're everything and nothing. Mm. You're right at the centre of it, but yeah. they can just remove you and yeah. there is someone else. Oh, there's a queue of them oh, yeah. waiting to do it. Do you remember when you first became aware of that side of Formula 1? I guess it probably was at Red Bull that the political element of being a Formula 1 driver came to the fore yeah i think middle of the field there is there is some politics um but when you're at the front going for grand prix victories and world championships it does become a little bit more um prevalent in terms of the what's at stake in terms of you know some of the politics around that um and they could be good for you as well like equipment and engines and you know rules and you know so it you know, Red Bull or any team, you know, we've got two teams. So you could say, well, that's political because they've got two teams on the field and they've got more votes. And, you know, so it's like I'm, I would benefit from that. Um, and when it comes to, you know, some of your press positions or your statements, it's like, mate, don't go down that alley because we're doing something else further down the road, which would be assistance to everything else. So you you got to navigate your way through all of those things, whether it's stuff that gets in the public or stuff that... And were you equipped for that? Yeah. Were you, for, um, the, for that side of the job? Well, you've got to learn fast, mate. Yeah, and obviously I wasn't overly PC, um, so that was sometimes probably wasn't great for me um, in that sport. I could have been probably a little bit more uh, smoother on basically keeping people happier longer or, you know, putting more effort into the relationships that I found a bit shallow. It's like, well, this is just not, it's not my type of people and I'm not going to put the relationship in there. And that was something that I probably could have been better at, but I still to this day feel happy with that's how I handle it because that's... Yeah what type of guy I am there's a lot at stake here and 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 you you sort of find out that yeah we're right at the arrowhead of this juggernaut of a business it is huge and yeah you are not a light bulb but you are nearly nearly a light bulb mate 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So when you do things like, um, did you say, good job we're not designing planes or something about the Red Bull earlier? We don't design helicopters, yeah. Because yeah. the, cause it kept yeah. breaking down yeah. and you were basically insinuating yeah. if this was a helicopter that broke down, <laughs> it would be a serious yeah. problem. Yeah. How did that kind of thing get dealt with internally? With racing drivers, adrenaline, obviously, it's, 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 it's very, very high, obviously, when driving the cars. And there's a lot of things that we say, of course, in the heat of the moment, which you like, you know, and there's a, the list goes on. All of us guys that had long careers that you could pull out a, you know, a catalogue of punchy statements on the radio, which you probably might not have foreseen being the best thing to say at that time. But it's just... If you get you put so much in, and you can see that other teams, in this case, for example, if other teams are super reliable and 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 again back to that word consistent, and then you've got this a car that is incredibly unreliable and not dangerous, but you know parts failing and things like this. It's like, well, yeah, you know, and because I know a little bit about aviation, it's like, well, you know, how do we get it right in aviation? But in this stuff, we can't because obviously these are virtually prototype cars anyway, yeah. and there's a lot more, um, you know risk in design and concept of course but um yeah so there has been absolutely several moments where i've been hard on staff or you've called someone out and sometimes it can be irreparable sometimes the relationships it, it can be really cutting and and it might not have gone down well um but you get you could get called in on, on something like that and so look mate you know that's obviously you, that one line has affected 300 people and that wasn't clever you know so then you've got obviously a retract and so you know because of course when you're in the car as i say you say things which you yeah, know, you get the frustration levels. It's that, but it's from a desire to win, though, isn't it? That's the of course. And you have this flash moment of whether it's a you know fifty fifty tackle, you know whether it's you know we see it in football, don't we? You know, guys just yeah. you know, this rash decision, just rush of blood, and in our turn, we can't do that. We're we we can't move an inch. We're strapped into that car. The only thing we we can talk. <laughs> We can, we can just shout something out random, um, which we often do. So would you give us an example of a specific time where you'd said something that, in hindsight, you were sorry you'd said it, and how did you repair it? Yeah, it would have been definitely at a mechanic or, or something around, um, 
you know, pit stops or you're personally calling someone out for being, you know, massively subpar. Right. Um, and you you can be hastily in your in in that after a race, and you can go and find them, and you can call them out, and obviously, and then of course you get to it, and you work out that there's always a little bit of a, a background to why that was a sub sub poor performance or something happened for them on that day to for that to have happened. Um, so yeah, of course you cool down. There is a cooling down period, and you and you and you know, but as long as it's you know not a repeated you know yeah you can live with it you know if it's if it's a guy it's a one-off you know and you're just like yeah you know, sometimes it's the other way you know you, you go in there and you're like saying guys you, you give an encouragement you know if someone actually has a, a, a weird a weirdly abnormal mistake or something you're like this is that's unlike him or unlike her that's really strange and then it's like you know and then you would go to them and i would see that as a, an opportunity to, to absolutely give encouragement that right. you know if, if the consistency has been phenomenal and you have this little wobble go there and say look got your back all good. We, the form card's phenomenal. All good. And, you know, and give them the, you know, because, again, why? Because they're, they're so, they've got so much pride in their work, you know, and yeah. for them to have a wobble is, it hurts them, you know, and they're the characters you want. There's something magical, though, from the outside looking in at the Red Bull culture. Like, we were all quite jealous of it because it looked like everyone was having a party. It was brilliant <laughs> all the time. I know, yeah. and we can probably talk about them, there are some elements of it that are not fantastic, but... There was something that they did that was totally different to the rest of the whole Formula One paddock. And mm. I just wonder what, what it was like being involved in that culture of the whole Red Bull brand and how yeah. much that was kind of inspiring for you to see someone like Dietrich Mateschitz is a great example. Look what he's built, that empire that he's created at Red Bull. Mm. For you to see that and to feel mm. you're part of it. I think the freshness, mate, the freshness was great. Um, I think there was one year, I mean, this is probably going to be a horrendous misquote, but there was something around the amount of tens of thousands of hours that were done, extra hours in one year, unpaid. So people didn't get paid for that work, but they were just, they just loved their work and they loved going to work and they loved, you know, because we were the underdogs initially, as you know, mate, and we wanted to, you know, ruffle some feathers and that was the attitude within the team we are going to ultimately at some point we're going to beat all these guys ferrari all these huge names and that was where the spring and the step come from because we're like okay we're, and that was the recruitment and that was like you know this is the goal and these are the individuals we want and the the, the mean line of the age was pretty low i think in terms of you know so the the, the trust and, and then in building that belief with inside those young individuals was 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 great. Um, but you're right, mate. From the top, you know, Dietrich would come to one race a year probably, um, so not many. Um, but I think just you know under the you know for example like Jonathan Wheatley, who's the team manager doing all the pit stops and sort of you know he's you know the standards with inside the car preparation and sometimes i'd come back my wife's a manchester united fan so we go at old Trafford and we're driving home and i'd you know super late and i'd get some takeaway pizzas 30 takeaway pizzas or 20 takeaway pizzas and january and february is when i racing they're getting their cars ready for the new season i'd go in and to have at the time probably one of the one of one of not the but one of the highest paid members of staff are coming with the pizzas and just said that cult mate i didn't see it like it wasn't like you know i'm better than them these guys are the absolute warriors of our team they're there at one o'clock in the morning preparing these cars go in and just they come alive you know it's just it was just brilliant for me to, and i left there and answered you could hardly sleep coming back to saying that they're up there preparing these cars with meticulous 
passion and enthusiasm and the buy-in from home too mate you know like there's obviously you know often of course they're all in mm. you know relationships and you know that this is there's a lot of trust and buy-in at home on them working those sort of hours so that was extremely enjoyable uh something i've never really well i have sort of experience since but when you get that level of, of of trust inside a team it's fantastic so when you go in and you see these guys sort of working in the wee small hours and did it add to the weight of responsibility that you had as the arrowhead of the team mm. or, or or did it inspire you yeah it was it was i mean i know this is a, a line that's been used in from other sports people but you know the pressure is the privilege obviously it's sort of like you know when you turn up and you know, you walk into the garage. So you've, I've seen the journey this car's gone on, and the deadlines, and the hours that's gone into it, and you, and you roll down the pit lane for the first time, and and this is, oh God knows how many pieces are in an F1 car. I'm not even going to try and guess how many thousands of pieces, but this, the the timeline of all these things arriving at the same time, pretty much within a day, to then for us to drive the next day. And they're all waiting. They're hanging on every word. They're just waiting for what you want to say about it and what can we do to improve it. They're already, you know, frothing to say, okay, what can we do to improve? You know, he's going to have some feedback. It's not going to be perfect out of the box. What can we improve? How's the seat? How's the seat belts? How's the aerodynamics? What are the brakes like? What's the electronics like? You know, what have we got here? What's your view like? Where's the little windscreen? What's the steering? you got all, and it's just like a flood of information. You've got these people coming in to try and make your job better because obviously if you're more comfortable and you can give a better performance, of course, it's a reflection of their efforts. And what did that period teach you about communication? So for people listening to this that are not in Formula One, but actually it makes no odds what sport or business you're in. Mm-hmm. Getting the answers to those questions is what every business wants, to be yep. faster and better. And you're involved in other businesses now. So mm. yep. what were your lessons in strong, powerful communication from the Formula One years? Yeah, I think obviously transparency is as fast and as quick as you can be to have the correct lines of, of communication yep. through to then... Um, so would you just give total honesty even if it was a painful thing for someone to hear because that's kind of what you have to do yes or? i mean uh, yes if you if you can i mean it, it, there might be a way to soften the blow to to try and give the encouragement or or you know not you know clip their wings too hard and, and demotivate them um but finding that the right way to communicate through the right channels because obviously again it's it can get you know stories can change through big companies it's like well this you know and it can be interpreted in different ways so you gotta be really mindful of that i think um but i think yeah i think having that ability to 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 get into the right channels and know it's going to be spread into the right individuals in the right in the right way um and that again is down to culture isn't it? the trust of the people underneath i'm not saying you know, god i'm not the yeah. boss but you're saying you know, as a driver because they can take it personal of course you know if you are attacking a part of the business whether it's in, the, in as you mentioned here mate whether it's marketing or whether it's you know budget control or whether it's whatever it is um social media whatever that if, if someone has a, a negative opinion on how it's the trajectory looks then of course that individual naturally can often take it as a as a bit of an uppercut but if you take it as it's a two-way street here you know what please let's both of us what what can i do to make your job easier you know how can i continue to 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 strive forward and and i think that's transparency is is important yeah. deal with it quickly i mean you don't let things fester gut feel is always pretty big gut feel is massive i think that if you that's one of my biggest lessons is is gut feel has generally been pretty right. So what is the best piece of feedback that you've ever given and received that's made the biggest difference to you? You never know who's watching. There's always someone watching that 
you might not know is watching or watching your attitude or how you behave that can have an influence or you can influence them or it's the positive effect on your attitude day to day because you're always sort of like when I was racing but you know this individual said you're sort of now you're always on show in a way you know and you've got to really respect that and 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 make sure that you are um respectful of of how you are behaving um because people will draw conclusions pretty quickly so you're in control of all of those things so and for me um the best advice that i gave i think that i think being true to yourself is important i think you can you know it's very easy now with you know with all this social media stuff and you know this you know shallow settings that we can have and and the delusional fact of where you think you are mentally or what you're what you're up to you the the accountability control in yourself is important and you've got to take ownership and 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 really where you can surround yourself with people that are on your journey um and and have that belief in you and and yes put you in deep order every now and again because you need to be put out of our comfort zone you know if you just don't want to if you just want to cruise around you know i know you've had ian thorpe on here mate but thorpe he just cruised around in the shallow end his whole life and he wouldn't have the career that he had so i think that you know being happy to take the deeper waters when you can with the right people around you and stay present i think staying present's important i think you know people can take baggage on for the future and and really oh what's going to happen next november i'm not sure well if you give 100 percent today you know you're a good chance it's going to be okay what's the challenge though when you're living in the present is all of the stuff surrounding a formula one driver in the team though i mean repa was a brilliant period for you that's where all your wins came you were at the absolute top of your game and there was great stuff there the challenge was your teammate sebastian vettel mm-hmm. can you take us inside what it's like to be in the same team everyone's pulling in the same direction but you are absolutely the most direct competitor of the person yeah. who's in the team alongside <laughs> you and how, just how you deal with that because it's the weirdest thing yeah it's kind of almost unique to formula one isn't it yeah horrible jake actually because i think it's better to have a competitor in another team than obviously if you both of you are firing pretty well um yeah. and it was uncharted waters for red bull it's the first time you know we'd ever been through it yes individuals had been you know in terms of we had you know obviously phenomenal individuals in the team that had seen this play out in other teams but it's the first time that we had to deal with it in our own team um and the first time for me and the first time for sebastian so both as drivers we hadn't we we're both going for our first world title in 2010 um so really really challenging from a management perspective because you get divide within the organization you just it's just really hard for them to contribute evenly across both sides and to keep in mind we had just two small characters like lewis hamilton and alonso also in the fight so they weren't you know easy to handle either um so managing the the individuals on what you saw their team and our team you know it shouldn't be like that but yeah. as you're saying it, it, it becomes like that and when you're getting right to the end of a championship um you start to see shadows you start to see you know is he with me or is he not with me you know is she with me or what you know what's where are their loyalties really you know it really you're comes talking down about other to members it. of the yeah, team. yeah that's right yeah yeah right. other members of, are they really are they neutral are they really neutral or is it a bit of a bias because personally mate it's just human fact that we have biases we have favorites this is how we are you know we we just do gravitate to one or the other in, in some way so the challenging thing obviously bit was said was obviously you know he was funded by red bull from from an early age and i wasn't i was an old dog that was helping the team out at a point where it was like maybe was i a little bit inconvenient to fighting for that world title this wasn't really what the the playbook is supposed to look like so that's the crash course on that um in terms of how 
I went deep into the championship. We took it to the last race, uh, as you know. But um, I think that in the team, um, keeping the glue of the operation together was was certainly extremely challenging. Yeah. Um, and um, I think there was a lot of lessons from that. Um, and there was some blowback. There were some people that left, you know, people that weren't happy with some of how the things were handled and, um, and tensions went you know, very, very high. Um, I mean, I think for people that are listening to this that are not Formula One aficionados, right? Let's just make it clear the sort of things that were going on. I mean, a member of the engine department told you that when you're when you're behind Sebastian, the engines get turned down, mm-hmm. right? So you can't have a crack at yeah. him. You only communicate really with your own engineer on the pit wall, Kyron it was, who yeah. worked with you. And mm-hmm. you ended up talking in code mm. so that if it was a message from the team, you knew it wasn't a, that's true isn't it yeah, you knew it yeah. wasn't a message from Kyron yeah, in yeah. other words if it was like a team order he didn't want yeah. to be the one yeah. to deliver that message Sebastian had a, what he believed was a cracked chassis or in fact the team apparently had told him it mm. was a cracked chassis yeah. right to make him feel better about being beaten by you yeah. you then took on the cracked chassis and won the British Grand Prix with it <laughs> a new wing came to the team and there was one wing and two drivers and he was given the wing yeah, yeah. when all these things happen again and again and again and there'll be people listening to this that in their own workplace or in their own relationships with people, they feel they're in a kind of a similar position maybe to you. What what were the mental tools that you came up with to deal with this? Yeah, and, massive, massive. And how Jake. hard was yeah, it, I guess? Yeah, um, really hard, you know, and, and that sounds like, oh, poor Mark, you know, you've rattled a lot of stuff off there, mate. But obviously it's it's the fine, it's really, really fine margin to think, you know, is was there as much in that as I thought or was there, you know, but ultimately you just sort of feel there could be a little bit of a tide here that you're, so, you're slightly going against a couple of knots, you know, like if there's zero knots over there and you've got a couple of knots of stream against you, like this is just a little bit harder than it needs to be. And, mate, like I said, I didn't have the, you know, the most talent in the world, but I feel that, that there was parts of that, those things that you mentioned like every now and again i just thought that is that really correct i'm not so you're having self-doubt then as well yeah you're just like and then that's energy because you're just like you know do you have to do a bit of admin in the background and sort of you know mop up a bit of stuff and say is this right is how it is and you know so that's that's challenging what mental tools do you use i think that you know i i i I turned it into fuel where i could for the fire and sort of saying i've just i just i just have to continue to do whatever I can to work with the tools I've got to keep keep swinging hard. I've got to just keep going. You know, if I show any signs of, you know, there was, you could argue there were signs of weakness, but in terms of, you know, it was, you know, some of it got out into the media, obviously, at the time. What, for oh, weakness you know, like, from you? You know, like, no, in terms of, like, you know, not bad for number two driver or for, you know, for the wing stuff or, yeah. you know, so there was some explosions, you know, in terms of a bit of a crack at the team. Um, but ultimately... How good did it feel, though, yeah. when you said not bad for a number two driver? It did was it good, feel yeah, good? Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, I had a one to say it the day before, but, you know, I had to wait another day until I won. But um, it was... Yeah, it was... And did you feel like that? Well, number two driver. Yeah, I was... Yeah. I mean, that first part of 10, I just felt there was lots of things that were just like, you know, I had led the championship and I'm just like, this is... How is this, you know, give us a sniff? You know, instead of, you know, you know, there was a gearbox penalty in Canada after I won Monaco and it's like, this gearbox penalty? Hmm, okay, this is interesting. And then at the end of that race, I caught Sebastian and I couldn't fight him. You know, it's like, well, I had the penalty and now I want to pass him. It's like, no, we've got to call the race off. So anyway, there was... You know, mate, spilt milk, all that, whatever. But it's just at that point, you just feel a thing, you know, to answer your question in a corporate setting, if you feel like you're, 
And there can be, of course, there can be naturally, there can be politics in the corporate. Mm. So we know that, you know, if you feel you're giving the same effort and the same sort of performance and there's someone else that's got some other different lane that they're operating in and sort of seem to be, you know, steaming through different sort of challenges you're dealing with. I think that ultimately you will know when enough is enough. Is this is this is this correct? Again, back to the gut feel. I was always on single year contracts at Red Bull, you know, which is, you know, again, that wasn't common knowledge for for a long time but until sort of at the end but it was just like again that was it is what it was you know and we had a car at the front we both were good for each other so an employment effect are you good for each other you serve a purpose in 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 that corporate setting you know how many cards do you have at the table to negotiate to to change whatever you're not happy about you know what can you do to influence to make yourself a little bit happy to perform better in that role now is it is it financial is it you know um you know, best working hours or, you know, whatever it is, or you want some, you know, to report to someone different, you've obviously got to start to tick those off and pick them off tactically what you feel is best for you. But your gut feel is generally pretty close, in my opinion, and patience. You've got to be patient about, you know, hastily calls. I mean, I, I could have really trashed my own career several times, but I just needed to be a deep breath, <laughs> patience. And What know, was the lowest low point for you? I think losing the championship in 10 was really hard. I think that was, um, yeah, in Abu Dhabi, at, you know, and I think, well, it was probably Singapore-Monza time where they were just keeping Seb back in the game and we could have probably, Brazil, we could have shut it off even a bit earlier because we kept Fernando. We were prepared to take the risk to probably lose it to Fernando and Lewis or lose it to Fernando than have both of us have a smaller chance instead of me having a bigger chance to do it. But that was like, well, yeah. You- you mean they would rather have Fernando have won a race than you? No, the no. title, the title, like right. keep, yeah, a slim chance for Seb staying in it, then probably we're going to knock it on the head. Then allowing and the two fit. of you to race yeah. and for you to have a real crack yeah. at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and that was Brazil. I had a water pressure problem, whatever, at the end of the race. Like, okay, whatever. So it was, I mean, it was what it was. You know, it was mm. at the time, it's. 11 years ago now <laughs> so yeah it's it's a while back but it's it's still obviously a, a talking point and yeah. and it was it was a it was a fascinating time in the team's learning curve but can i go back to that where you said i could have trashed my career several times but i took a deep breath mm. yeah. i'm really intrigued by that because it must have felt like easy to have spoke about your grievances yeah. or i think the short that. fuse factor mate is a problem so that the short fuse uh and knowing that you've got a big team of people behind you and and most of them actually have your best interests at heart um but you just once it's out in the public environment you know it it, it can be hard for you to to pull it back in and and patch that up so of course the people around me have been good at that in terms of making sure that look you've this is the big picture here long game um and loyalty you know and look at the end of that i'm still with red bull now like 14 years later you know yeah. the brand itself has been brilliant the racing operations were certainly challenging for us and in the end um you know as Jake well, said, what we, did you learn to get better at it so what sort of tips did you or, or techniques did you employ to get better at holding your tongue and and gaining greater perspective yeah i think just what sort of type rope you're on is a professional i think that you 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 realize that there's some big gaps you know and 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 you're still relatively young and you you just feel i think you're in such a bubble when you're when you're a professional athlete that there's still going to be infinite opportunities you know after that right it's not the case you got to like anything you got to continue to work hard at any other opportunities whether it's in your career or post your your career you got to really graft and find because there's a lot of seriously good good operators out there and doing some really good stuff and they're applying themselves brilliantly you've got to be a bit clever and say look this is fighting for victories 
ultimately the team environment is still something that i enjoyed you know it yeah. was still you know we had our flash points but it was still something you like you know be careful don't bloody think it's always greener somewhere else because it's very very easy to be you know thinking it is and and you know and you you arrive at this new destination and it's like well um yeah that uh that house looks a bit different it looks nice on the outside but there's freaking no furniture there was a brilliant moment where you wrote a letter to the team, didn't you? Mm. <laughs> Depends who, brilliant, brilliant for who. <laughs> All right, interesting. An intre- a fascinating moment. Yeah. How was that received? Very good from Dietrich, but horrible at Milton Keynes, yeah. so then Why would that be, though? Because obviously it, was a, it wasn't a public letter. It wasn't no. shared with 400 yeah. members of staff. Yeah. It was just given directly to the people where yeah. it almost felt like that no, was to the you. Boss. One guy. So yeah. straight to one boss. person. Yeah. To the boss who, who paid my bills, yeah. Why would that be badly received? Re- do you know what I mean by that, Damien? Because it's yeah. like all you want is honesty and you want accountability and you want openness and you want truth from the mm. people you employ. Yeah. I can totally understand yeah. if it was you'd held it up in the pit lane and said, hey, World's Media, come and listen <laughs> to this letter. It wasn't an open letter. I, I can get that. Yeah. But there were private letters to be badly received. It's, yeah. an interest, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I just think it probably put a bit of heat on people um, You know, that were operationally you know sort of running the team at the time and just Dietrich wanted answers well I wanted answers you know so, so what was so the context it, of the it was oh, just some of the again the operations of how I suppose that the, the team was run at the time and right. and there was some challenging uh moments again within inter-team rivalry and um I just took it upon myself to you know write a letter to Dietrich who's obviously the boss of all of us he is the boss and um there was one letter that went to the Austria and he um of course filtered it back down into into senior management and, and they felt well, undermined maybe that you'd gone yeah. right to the top yep well i'd also played those cards earlier and probably didn't get the answer that i wanted so i obviously went to to the main man um, and what were you wanting to achieve there i suppose mate i just wanted to have him understand like it made me feel better that like is this is this you know can you get better answers than i can is that possible is there other agendas here you know i just need more answers around certain topics and and he did as well in some ways you know because people listening to this well hang on he's the boss he should be across everything this is a guy that's across you know red bull's a big organization and the racing component was was yes a huge facet of the business but it was one facet and he's not day-to-day inside the team it's obviously other people you know running that so that was he was just bringing them into question to say you know do we need to understand this a bit more so um and that didn't go down well obviously with with senior management whatsoever but when you look at your career the best you drove Mm. and the best results Mm. and the moment you were at your peak was this period where you had your back against the wall and you felt like a number two driver and you felt like there wasn't equality or fairness and i think this is a really good reminder for people who are listening to this that what isn't easy for you can still be good for you and i think maybe maybe you disagree with this i think looking at it from the outside it was good for you <laughs> to have your back against the wall as painful as it was at times yeah yeah i think you're right mate i think i did enjoy uh the odds against me but just, i think there was times where i felt like it was it was too much yeah sometimes like oh i got to shoulder this a bit more okay that's you know nearly too much and of course it was all on me it was no one else could actually shoulder that in terms of you know some of the things i had to deal with but look mate i you know this is we know this is not a, a a red bull slagging it's 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 a it's a it's just a talking about you know cultures employment um, yeah. a member of a team one member of a huge team um and i'm a better man for you know having driven in formula one having driven for red bull the, all the scenarios i'm I, I i believe i enjoy a good relationship with everyone yeah. to this day but it was good um, for, i think it was yeah, good for you, you know yeah. like absolutely it almost mate. drew the best you know, out of you yeah and absolutely and it's not like the end of the day we're not you know this is this is not lawn bowls mate not anything against people that they play lawn bowls but there was a lot at stake and of course with a lot at stake 
there's going to be feathers ruffled every now and again, you know, and I was just had to be part of that. And, you know, and people, you know, again, mechanics or engineers or people, they're still to this day, some of those guys carry that, which is great, which is a good thing because that's how much it meant to all of us, you know, yeah. um, and the fine margins of top flight sport. So, you know, sometimes I'm out walking the dogs and I go, well, you know, my, you know look, you come from Queanbeyan, no sponsorship really whatsoever, had some good little support here and there along the way for some key individuals, which is pivotal, flukes and results when I really needed them. Um, I was the wrong size for F1. I was always nine kilos overweight because I couldn't lose any more weight. I was too tall. And all these things are just like, well, ultimately, mate, you know, you actually did do okay. You know, it's fine to look back. But you're always human nature is you always want more. Because I remember when I won the first race, that's it. Everyone else had a good day. There was no attrition. It was a fair victory off pole. Brilliant. Absolutely stoked. That's it. Brilliant. And then Monday, you're like, wouldn't two be good? Yeah. Human nature. Yeah, yeah. And Valentino Rossi sent me one when I did win my second race. He goes, fantastic, two's a double or one. Yeah, that's human nature. We always want more. So, And where are you at with it now mentally? Very good, mate. Stoked. Very good. You know, more around the people I worked with, the journey I went on, whether it's with travel, whether it's the the professional people I worked with, mate, would never, ever have happened if I didn't compete at that level. Um, So I've been absolutely stoked with my career uh, and perspective i think has also been good you know we've lost some mates in the you know racing which has been tragic you know so you get this real you know the business side of it yeah the the hr side of it. it's actually a very good sport in that in that sense in terms of what it gave me and it continues you know you still go around and people still love listen oh we love watching your race whether it's brazil or spain or and that's nice because it's not about it's a reflection of the sport it's not a reflection of me as an individual it's a reflection of actually car racing is still People still love watching these gladiators or these what they perceived as gladiators, things that they can't do. That's what sport should be. I love watching tennis. I love watching football. I love watching sports. Where, and that's the best of the best. You just know that you can relate to it, but there's absolutely no way in the world that you could ever do it. And that's what my skill in the end was honed through working with phenomenal people. I'm blessed for that. There was a lovely phrase, like my favourite phrase when I was reading about your career, Mark, was a quote from a BBC journalist that said, the best thing about you is that despite all the glamour and the glitz of Formula One and the career that you've had, that you remain completely unaffected by it. You're still the boy from... Queenbean, yeah. From Queenbean. Mm. How did you keep your feet on the ground then? The upbringing, I suppose. I think that, um, I don't know, rural Australia is... You know, it's it's you know, I'm not going to throw other other people under the bus here, but I think I was just fortunate where I grew up. Look, I have got choices in my life now. Don't get me wrong. I, I can I can do things differently to to what I if I didn't race in Formula One, but I don't take that as you know. I I, I try to be. I just do what I do, and people say that's that's nice you, to see. You seem to operate yeah. on gut feel yeah. quite a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, whatever. If you're on a flight and someone wants a photo or autograph, you've got no idea what they're going through. No idea. And it's just nice if you can, it takes five seconds and it's just, if you can stay relatively, you know, look, I love the simple things in life, mate. I love riding my motorbike now. I love my dogs um, and I don't need much at all to make me happy, which is great. I love a little log fire and, you know, a couple of mates, we have a couple of whiskeys and we're just like, I try to keep life pretty uncomplicated. I'm not that complicated because I had complications in terms of, as a professional, you've got to, you know, you've got to put a lot into it. And that that was not easy for relationships. It was not easy for family. It was not easy for that, you know. And people talk about sacrifices as a word that I hate. Oh, I made all these sacrifices. Well, you know, for me, it was all upside. You know, people say, oh, you did so well with all these sacrifices. I mean, it's bullshit because you've got to step up. 
And this is, you know, for me, it was all like, this is all upside. Every single thing, if I nail this, it's not a sacrifice. It's like, you know, it was just something that needed to be done. But also, it's about living a really interesting life. You know, you didn't have to raise sponsorship and deal with all those sponsors as a young driver to get into F1. You got to. Mm. Um, You didn't have to deal with all the politics uh williams and red bull and in the overall formula one world you got to do that yeah. you didn't have to go toe-to-toe with a world champion you mm. got to yeah. it's about realizing that among all the challenges that exist in life and we can all look at everything in our lives as a challenge mm. or look at it all as an opportunity yeah that's right mate you know possibilities not problems in terms of you know finding the way to be positive you know there's always as you say there's currents and little headwinds that come along that's life look what is wealthy? Is wealthy money or wealthy with family or wealth? Like how, does, how is wealth measured? But people that have a tremendous amount of finance behind them, you know, there's a lot out there that, that aren't overly happy with, with their life, you know, because there's whatever it is. They've, got, they've, got, they've had baggage from the past or wrong decisions or now it's, you know, perceptions or, you know, and there's a lot of cracking individuals that have kicked a lot of goals and, and they're still true to themselves, which is awesome. Um, so you're right, mate, having that... Having that just the fullness, the, the life, the, the the ups and downs. See, seeing the seeing the, the the little uppercuts, getting back up, and that makes you feel you know feel good. And giving back a bit, mate. Like that makes me feel you know I've done some stuff in Australia which I'm proud of. And and whether it's building some units for some kids with leukemia that are rural based, can't have their siblings and family support them because they're from rural areas and having the units close by to the clinics makes you feel mega. Are we banging the drums about it? No, but that that is something where you you feel they're just a little snippet of makes me feel good and how happy are you very mate very happy now i mean it's been tricky times hasn't it covid has been um really interesting for all of us in terms of the cadence of how we used to operate before whether it's you know catching up with friends and doing things and family and i suppose what i'm saying is that this is like an injury for some people like you take for granted when you're healthy you know and now we've all had a little bit of an injury and it's like well actually before that now i take i probably took for granted certain things that actually i could just have the drop of a hat very very easily and now you're going to come out maybe at the other end and sort of, you know, re, re-juggle things a little bit, what's important, even down to maybe where I live, even down to some of my work my work rate, my my time that I spend with people that I want to really love being with or and really enjoy the, the smaller things that maybe, you know, pre-COVID was 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 just on tap if you like so mate for me the the recreational component of my life is very important i love sometimes even being on my own i'll go on the motorbike for 10 days and just hit the alps and or scotland or whatever you know that makes me feel i enjoy that the planning and you know i think there's some power in yeah being happy with yourself and just going out and do those things alone so but obviously annie and i we we do some great things together and and yeah it's enjoyable so can i ask you about Anne? i mm. mean apart from being a class act because she's a united fan <laughs> <laughs> the bit i'm interested yeah, yeah, in yeah. is that she's been both your manager mm. and mm. your wife yep and i'm interested in how you manage that dangerous those combo, two relationships. dangerous combo yeah there's been some testing moments um around the commercial situation and the private stuff in terms of just, I mean, stuff that she's encouraging you to do. And of course, you know, I mean, we rarely argue, very rarely do we argue, but sometimes it's around, not now, because obviously my, my, my days are over in terms of most of the decisions we make now are fun and we, we're getting into things with our eyes wide open. We enjoy doing that. But like before it was like, for example, like the Australian Grand Prix, all these, you know, requests coming in and, and she's obviously the bad cop to the team and sort of, you know, and 
I don't want to do this and don't want to do that. And it's like, well, well you, you need to. You need to say, well, you know, and then it's like, and all of a sudden, you know, it flares up and it's like, you know, you're having arguments about, you know, the professional side and how, you know, the brand, you know, what she's been so good on in terms of understanding that and the longevity, you know, after my career of, of sort of having a good vision and perspective on, on how that should look. That's been brilliant. But, um, you know, we're now, crikey, 1996 or something. So it's been a while. I've uh, been together and, um, yeah, no, she's been brilliant. So it's a spade, a spade, mate. She didn't take much shit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant and been a good little duo, um, lean, mean machine in terms of our upper, our team has been very small for, for our whole career. Was that important um, yeah. to you just to have a very small unit of people you really trust? Yeah, I think so, mate. And also didn't just overcomplicate things. So yeah. we didn't need, you know, I mean, now there's obviously all these experts in life and experts in, you know, in terms of, yeah, in terms of, you know, with social media and all. Thankfully, that wasn't around in, in, in my time and agencies and all the rest of it. But, um, it, and you need them. Look, okay, there is, there's, 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 there's this space for some of that, of course. But, you know, we kept it pretty simple, mate. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't rocket science, mate. I just drove around circles for a living, you know, and, and, and I work with, the, as I say, the best people and some of the biggest brands in the world. And, I wanted to over deliver for those people as best I could, you know, as I say, always did what I gave the best performance of myself every single time I tried to, to work in that environment. And even small things like blesser, like, you know, when the simulators come online here in the UK, you know, the simulator, we'd have to, we did huge hours in those. And it was like, sometimes like, you know, packing a lunchbox. It was like, you know, like, you know, off to school pretty much, you know, like, you know, <laughs> big day of work. And it's like, even down to those little things, it's like, yeah, she was, she was brilliant with that stuff. Brilliant. We've reached the point in our interview where we do our quick fire questions oh. at the end. Before we get to them though, do you reflect on everything we've discussed, that whole career and think you gave it, the absolute maximum every time yeah look i think that again back to that oh do you want more uh what could we have done better you're you're more knowledgeable now in in, in many ways ignorance is bliss you know naivety is bliss because then you've got the enthusiasm if you said at the end of your career you're gonna have to do what you're gonna have to do to get like probably not you know it's gonna be you know if you don't know what's coming you just gotta it it makes you have that lust for for what's down the road but i think the experience curve against the sort of naivety curve and you're sort of like you know if i had more yeah you know, the old would you change anything then if you could go back or do you not um, operate like that i think just again probably more into the details like i was i was into the details but i think sometimes i used to put a bit of a test on myself to say i'll work that out not on the fly but i, I like to sort of have that instinct and, and dealing with things not in a reckless way at all and being being ridiculous with it but could i have been more detailed maybe um but you know th there was a lot of tools around to get into some of that stuff at the time could i've done more with that but it's only now you see how much they do but at the time it was in its infancy so it's, you know should i have thought more about using different tools and challenge that segment more to help my performance could have done but you know is what it was, mate. Right then, quick fire questions. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into? Timekeeping, yeah, consistency, and uh, enthusiasm. What advice would you give a teenage Mark just starting out? Be truthful to the mirror. If you could go back to any point in your life, where would you go and why? Crikey, Jake, that's brutal, mate. Well, that, you know... Um, oh, I think you know, driving 2010 like those those cars through there when I was absolutely at peak of my career, that was a beautiful moment. How important is legacy to you, Mark? Not overly important. I think people can look at what you've achieved, but uh, I think that you know people will find their own way. There's a lot more important people than whatever my legacy will ever be, so they can look at those legacies instead of mine. This is kind of the final message, really, to people that have listened to this. What would you leave them with 
as your one golden rule to living a high performance life surround yourself with people that continue to get more out of you it doesn't matter what you've achieved there's always someone out there i think that can squeeze a bit more out of you and you can always do more than you think you can perfect mark thank you very much for your time no worries damien jake it was an interesting chat with mark wasn't it um obviously i was working on formula one when he was in that real era where things were pretty um heated between him and sebastian vettel and to sit there now and hear him talk about it in um in retrospect i just get the impression that it was definitely really difficult for him probably really difficult for quite a few years but he almost as we said to each other as we left he feels like he's found some freedom doesn't it yeah i think if it's possible to have a lifestyle envy of anyone i think it was definitely the the sense of freedom the liberation that he's got of being happy with what he's done but not resting on his laurels being in the moment the now as he said and you know how i talk about my parents giving us the two important things in life roots and wings yeah i think the fact that his mum and dad gave him those roots to Queenbian is really important to him because it feels like that is a mad world to go into and to be on a really um really public stage and to be up against it at the time when you're also at your very best is so difficult and i do sense that it was a reminder of where he came from that almost kept him sane through that period um and i think that's probably a really healthy thing for all of us just to have in our heads like the journey we've been on rather than getting something and right what's next what's next it is a really important reminder of hold on let's just remember how far i've come yep absolutely and i think the values that he's described his parents had instilled in him like giving the best in every moment leave nothing on the plate you know just put yourself out there at all times but the values that he kept coming back to even when he was having those difficult relationships and you know like when you talk about values you get people that and we've seen them and we won't name them they'll come on the podcast and they'll say a certain thing but you'll see a different behavior from them either before or after the recording but the reality is we turn up with mark who wants a cup of tea come on in he's lit a fire for us you know that he's a genuine person and even the way that he kind of talks like he doesn't even pretend to have all the answers whereas some people are obsessed with having to have the answers all the time whereas i think with him it's just like this is what i experienced this is what i feel about it if it's helpful for some people listening to your podcast great if it isn't sorry that's yeah. he's totally honest and just it's all out there isn't it there's no side to him yeah and i think that's where the that freedom that liberation comes from that you, there's nothing he's hiding he's just a man completely at peace with himself and that's where the envy the lifestyle envy comes from and it's probably a hard one actually for him to to think about but i do honestly believe that the fact that he felt that Sebastian Vettel was getting a different service to him and the fact that the media of the world weren't seeing a true story and the fact that he had challenges with the management of the team he was racing for. I do honestly think that all of that actually got the best out of him and I feel that if if he wasn't in that situation I wonder whether he would have he would have fought as hard and then been as successful. Well there's lots of people that we've interviewed that are better as as challengers rather than being the champions being the champion affords you a comfort a luxury a lifestyle whereas when you're the challenger you're striving for it your back's against the wall and I think there's some people that do respond to that and Mark would definitely fit in that category. He's a good a good honest Aussie right? Yeah brilliant bloke. Hey Damien, are you ready for one of the most uh, enjoyable parts of every episode from our perspective? I love this bit, yep, looking forward to it. Come on then, let's say hello to Howie and Ryan. How are you doing guys? 
Thanks for having us. Nice to see you both. Right, come on. I need to know the story now because for the first time we have two high-performance listeners joining us towards <laughs> the end of the podcast to share their experience. So what is going on? Well, um, me and Ryan, we know each other from school um, and we were both um, in both industries that were quite affected during the pandemic. So Ryan was working on the cruise ships as a dancer. I was working as a cabin crew in the airline industry. So suddenly our worlds were, you know, changed quite dramatically. Um, and we were in a bit of a transition period. So I came back home and um, he came back home and we had a bit of time to think and what we we're going to do with our time. And the Barista Bros, the coffee mobile business was formed. Yeah, it's a very odd thing. We, I actually messaged Howie because I had an idea about starting this coffee business and he went, shut up. That's exactly what I'm thinking of doing. So then ended up obviously two mates in lockdown together, having a Zoom call as everyone did in the world. Uh, with a beer in our hand and created uh, created this, I wouldn't say business plan, let's not put that too, uh, <laughs> too together, but we had a conversation and now now we, we're doing it. So why coffee? Well, Howie's been in coffee for a fair few years now, um, which I'm sure he'll tell you more about. And if I'm being completely honest, I love the taste of coffee. So <laughs> the combination of the both worked quite well. Um, and from a, from a business perspective as well, the main thing that everyone was doing in lockdown was going for a walk and grabbing a coffee. And the strangest point how this all came together was um, Ryan's sister had the horse books that we use today. Um, and I was thinking about going and not starting my own and going in coffee because uh, it's something I'd done before. So I started researching maybe converting a van and um, randomly Ryan messaged me one day saying, I'm thinking about doing this, buying my sister's horse books and making coffee out of it. You know a bit, bit about that. Can, can I use some of your time? And I said, hold on, I'm thinking that. How about we join my knowledge and, you know, your can-do and you've got the, the horse box and we put it together. Brilliant. Now, this is a brilliant story. I love entrepreneurial spirit. I love people doing something different. I love you being brave and leaving, your, leaving the comfy chair to pursue this sort of thing. One thing I'm not aware of yet, though, is why on earth the High Performance Podcast figures in this story, where it figures, how it figures. What's, what's the deal here? <laughs> Yeah, well, I uh, I actually stumbled across you guys when you first started and fell in love with the podcast. I thought it was excellent. And uh, I know that Howie loves this kind of thing as well. So it was actually the Johnny Wilkinson episode that caught my attention particularly. And uh, A, it was phenomenal. But B, I thought Howie needs to have a listen to this. So, And I don't think I've ever done this, but I just randomly messaged him and was like, you need to listen to this. Seven times I've watched that Johnny Wilkins listen to that one. So what is it then about our podcast that, that grabbed you both? Why did you, because listening to one episode, fine, but then carrying on, listening to more, sharing it, talking about it. I'm so interested in, in why people keep on coming back for more. I think personally, um, Johnny Wilkinson episode, I'm, I'm quite sporty. I play football and it grabbed me my attention. Then I started watching, listening to the, some of the other episodes. And it was, it was people that I'd never imagined that I'd be listening to. That was grabbing my attention and taking me down on paths and learning about where they came from and how they started and the problems they've had. And I'm honest, some things I don't take from everyone, but it's the little snippets I take from every episode I listen to. And I go, that's the bit I like. That's the bit that helps me. So what's been the most powerful one then, Howie? What, uh, the most powerful lesson that you've taken away? I think uh, Susie Ma, Infinite Purpose. I go through my day-to-day I just go to the next bit, to the next bit, but I've never really thought about my infinite purpose. What is my purpose further than my coffee business, further than that? And I think actually then that helps 
in your day-to-day life and everything you do, not just my coffee business. It's what's the whole. So what's your infinite purpose then? For me, it's how can I bring joy to other people every single day and just over a cup of coffee. Um, that's what we can do. And it's amazing. And it goes further than that, you know, it's day to day, but for our business, not only can we serve great coffee local, um, but we can serve up a smile and have a quick chat and that little energy I can pass on and that customer can take it to the next person. And suddenly my infinite purpose is not just staying in that box, the coffee box, it's going on further. Lads, I bloody love this. And I wish you all the very best for 2022. Just tell people where they can find a bit more information about you. So we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram, the Barista Bros Coffee. And if you're local to the West Sussex area, then come down and grab a coffee at the Dragon. Um, but we do move around, so come and check our socials out for where we're going. It's always good, isn't it, Damien, to hear from listeners, particularly a couple of guys who've kind of totally rewritten the way their lives look after a pandemic um, and with a little bit of guidance from high performance. And there's been loads of questions pinging into us this week. Let me ask you one here. Uh, this is from Sammy P123 on Instagram. Asks, what's the biggest pitfall people have when failing to achieve high performance? I mean, that's a good one for you, Damien. Yeah, I think um, not anticipating the messy middle. So I know it's a theme that we talk about regularly, Jake, but people not anticipating that things go wrong, you get far enough in that you can't see the end, you're too far to go back, morale declines. That happens to everybody on any high-performance journey. So again, one of the big lessons we've learned from this is prepare for things to go wrong. You know, the most important part of any plan is planning for that plan not to go to plan is a nice way of uh, phrasing it. Yeah, that's nice. And there's a question that's come in from uh, Jake underscore Hartley who says, what's the biggest takeaway from the podcast that you've both implemented into your lives? Um, I think there's two for me. The first one is memento mori, which is Latin for remember death, which sounds morbid, but actually Damien is the total opposite of morbid because it's about knowing that we all effectively have a terminal diagnosis. There's no one on this earth that's going to live forever. Therefore, every minute of every day and every decision you make, you have to make with the mindset that there isn't a second to lose. And if you were told you're going to die tomorrow, how would you live today? Trying to live as close to that as is kind of realistically possible. And the other one from Susie Ma, Infinite Purpose, which is really where high performance comes in, living a purposeful life. What about you, Damo? Well, that memento mori, just to interrupt for a second, Jake, is um, it was an actual position as well that uh, the more far-sighted Roman emperors used to appoint somebody in. So it's easy when you're in a position like that, that you're often compared to a god in those days, that you get high on your own supply. And the more far-sighted emperors used to have someone that would remind them of their fallibility and their, and their, their very human nature so that it stopped them getting carried away with their own importance. Um, I think from my point of view... I think it's about 360 feedback, getting regular feedback from people that are really important to you in your world. So people that understand the journey that you're on and can give you really valuable feedback. So in the case of doing this, you know, yourself, Will, Finn and the team that uh, that can often come and give some real valuable insights. Uh, incredible for our own development, whatever we're doing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, a message from Simon Beasley asking, is there going to be a high performance store? And if so, what can we get our hands on? Yes, there is going to be a high performance store. It is on its way. Um, and we're going to have some great merchandise, T-shirts, hoodies, bags, all sorts of things for you. So um, watch this space for that. And then quite a lot of people, actually, Damien, four or five people this week asking if we really believed 
the impact that high performance was going to have when we started. Um, and I guess it's on the week when tickets have gone on sale for the high performance tour in 2022. And they are, I mean, there's hardly any left now. We had a sellout event in Manchester talking about our book, which also goes on sale on Thursday. Um, and the store's on its way and the numbers have been amazing because this week everyone on Spotify has been sharing um, how they've been listening to the podcast. And we had a 500% increase in terms of followers and listeners and downloads and things. Um, so did we ever think it would get this far? I would actually say, Damien, obviously no, but also that I'm not in a... I don't want this to come out the wrong way for people listening to this. I'm really not that bothered, if this makes sense, because we just spoke about just doing the right thing, kind of making this podcast as purposeful as possible so therefore it was never about getting to a certain place or achieving a certain thing it was just about the quality of the conversations yeah so we didn't because we still don't if if i'm 100 percent. Yeah. i don't but i don't want to offend people by saying <laughs> yeah. that do you know what i mean like we don't care that we're successful but there is an element of that isn't there yeah definitely i, I don't because that's outside our control we can't influence that i mean when we hear the guys just then talking about phoning each other up and saying you need to listen to this podcast it's incredibly kind and humbling but that's outside our control that's nothing to do with us the only bits we can focus on is turning up and doing the best job we can with the guests that we're lucky enough to speak to and if that resonates with people that's fantastic and fulfilling but that's not our concern very interesting um before we go any further damon we also just want to mention um a young man who has lived through incredible personal tragedy, but is doing something pretty special at the moment um, to raise awareness, raise funds and have a positive impact in the face of adversity, don't we? Yeah, definitely. We want to talk about uh, Charlie uh, Starmer-Smith here and uh, the single that he's released called Spotlight. His own life has been touched by dementia as, as mine has as well. So it's a cause that I feel quite passionate around. And I think for him to do this in the face of the grief and the difficult circumstances of his own story is incredible and it's great that we can point people uh, in Charlie's direction. You're absolutely right, Damien. Um, and if you want to find out more about Charlie's story, then you can just search for him online. Um, and you can also download his song, Spotlight, as well, which he's written. And it was played on the BBC. It rocketed up the iTunes charts, actually, the other day. And um, anything you can do to support him, send him a message of positivity, download the song, whatever it is, um, please do, because he's a guy trying to make a real difference in the face of real difficulties so uh charlie i hope that 2022 is a good one for you and um from all of us here at high performance we're sending you our very best uh damien thanks a lot mate thanks jake loved it as always another interesting episode um thanks to faye lawrence from rethink audio for her hard work on the high performance podcast thanks as well to hannah to will and to eve for bringing so much to the party as well but most of all thanks to you Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. Be your own biggest cheerleader. Make world-class basics your calling card because you deserve them. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.